Greetings, everyone. This is the Sound Health Radio Show with Richard Talk to Me Guy. And Sherry Edwards is off working on the Sound Health Portal, soundhealthportal.com. I know I say that every week, but every week when I watch her do a demo, there's something new. There's some amazing new like chart or pie chart or displaying the amazing amount of information. For those that aren't familiar, the soundhealthportal.com is a branch of soundhealthoptions.com, Sherry Edwards' company back in Ohio. And the Sound Health Portal is now the ability to do vocal profiles or vocal prints online using the soundhealthportal.com. And currently, if you want to see what it looks like or how it works, you can go to soundhealthportal.com, click on the services tab, and then some of the current campaigns, which are the ones that you can do a trial for yourself for free. You just sign up with your email address. You can go in and choose currently. I see that they have a bio diet neuroplasticity, or golf swing. I laugh about this every week. Yes, you can actually improve your golf swing by having vocal analysis to see what kind of muscles are either too tight or too loose. Or, and I mean that in a, an acoustic way. If, there, if there's an issue and, and you'll see something's out of balance, that will improve your swing. And So it's true of also either bio diet or neuroplasticity, which is about how the brain fires and how the brain is working. And there, there are others. Those are just some of the, the three that I remember. And you can go there and you sign up for, a, as I say, a free account, email address, do a two 45-second recordings, and then submit that with the campaign that you're interested in, let's say neuroplasticity. And within a couple of hours to 12 hours is the most I've ever waited, you'll receive an email with a report with a mind-blowing amount of information and a chart that shows where things are, which all makes sense once you see it, or you watch a demo, you can go to soundhealthoptions.com, and under media there, Sherry has a number of different demos looking at different aspects of the portal, specific, like looking at neuroplasticity, and we'll do a visual demo showing you a live and workup of somebody's voice, and it shows the imbalances. Another example of the Sound Health Portal is the nano voice, which I use quite a bit, where you, again, do a recording. And what I use this for is to, when I'm going to add a supplement or a food that I'm testing, to see if I have a reaction or an imbalance with. So I'll do a recording with a nano voice. I'll then add a supplement. I'll wait about 20 to 30 minutes, and then I'll do another recording with a nano voice. And then I can look at the chart and see if something got hypertonistic or too much or hypotonistic, not enough. If some way that supplement shifts something in a way that's not beneficial to me, that I'll know, or if it does cause something I'm looking to want to enhance, oxygenation, I'll say, I'll be able to look at that and get that information. So I really am, I'm a big fan of the nano voice for those kinds of quick, oh, what's going on? It's a really handy tool, and that's now all available at the soundhealthportal.com. And this is the point at which, and I say that every week, where this is, a, this is going to be a great show with Marie, Maria Gudovich on uh, Dr. Dog's fascinating work, amazing work, and her passion for dogs. I'm a big fan of Team Dog. You'll be able to find the replay of this show about 15 minutes after I hit the end of show and you hear the, the outro music. And you'll be able to go to soundhealthoptions.com, click on media, and then click on Sound Health Radio. And the replay link that will take you back to chat and give you all the information on the show. And or you can go to any of your favorite podcast aggregators, which means iTunes, 
Pocket Cast, Ditcher, Google Podcasts, Dogcatcher. Yeah, there's one, Dogcatcher. I like Dogcatcher, actually. It's a good app. And you can search for either Sherry Edwards or one word, Talk To Me Guy. With a number of them like Stitcher or Pocket Casts, it's really easy to share a show. And this is one of the shows where is fascinated with this kind of leading edge research because that's what this really is, is it's leading in such an amazing way. You're going to want to share it with your friends and you can do that easily with Stitcher and Pocket Cast. And with that, former USA Today journalist Maria Gudovich is considered one of the foremost author experts on working dogs with her critically acclaimed New York Times bestselling books, Soldier Dogs, Top Dog, and Secret Service Dog. She's appeared on numerous national TV shows, including The Daily Show and Today Show, and has given talks about working dogs at the New York Stock Exchange, National Museum of the United States Air Force, and other notable venues. In her new book, Dr. Dogs, Goodovich brings us an in-depth and engaging investigation of the cutting-edge science behind how dogs are able to detect disease and aid people who suffer from a wide range of physical and mental health conditions, including cancer, Parkinson's, diabetes, sleep disorders, autism, and schizophrenia. Dr. Dogs is Maria's most personal book to date as she has a difficult-to-diagnose cancer threat in her own family. Maria joins us to talk about her latest book, Dr. Dog, How Our Best Friends Are Becoming Our Best Medicine. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Richard. Happy to be here. And as far as my voice, I, I find what you just, your intro fascinating, and I'm just getting over laryngitis, so I'd be interested in hearing what sound has to say about me. But Oh, well, we can talk about that after the show. I can walk you through that easily. <laughs> it's really <laughs> anyway, amazing. Yeah. The first time, you, the first time I, I actually think there's an interesting equivalent in a certain way here, and we'll get to this. We won't, we won't talk about this at this moment because I have a particular opening question for you. But I know that you did work at the Diabetes uh, doc, uh, Center in Northern California for, with dogs. And in a certain way, the, Sherry's work is using the voice to come up with information that people are like, you got that from the voice? And then she explains that the science behind it having to do with the vagus, vagal nerve and how it innervates and what it does and how it indicates and how it can re- reflect in your vocal print. And dog service, I mean... What you're doing, what you're talking about with dogs is amazing. Um, but my opening question is, you're, you're possessed with, by dogs. And I mean that in the most positive of ways, <laughs> in the sense of what the, the theme of your books that you've written. I'm, I'm curious about your path to writing Dr. Dogs as people's allies. How did you... You went from soldier dogs and service, other kinds of service animals, and I don't mean you know service in a positive sense. I think of them more as allies rather than service myself. How did you get to doctor dogs? Well, yeah, my past books were about other kinds of working dogs. They were military dogs and secret service dogs, and they're all nonfiction, you know, based in reality. And what the dogs do for the people they're protecting is they use their noses to detect bombs or bad guys and keep people from harm. And in, uh, in the same, and they're also very tightly bonded with their handlers. So 
um, when I started hearing about dogs detecting cancer in laboratory settings, say in Japan, uh, it was it it wasn't really. I thought, you know, this is not that different from the dogs who are protecting people um, from bombs because they're using their noses to get to the bottom of this information that could be harmful and also the bonds with, with the people they work with. And especially when it comes to, like you just mentioned, the diabetic alert dogs that I went to. I, I hung out at the diabetic, it's called Dogs for Diabetics in Northern California, and um, watching them train and then watching them with their handlers, um, they're almost acting as as one unit. They really are. And they're saving lives every day, just like these dogs do in war situations. So it really wasn't that much of a jump. And I'm a super science nerd. And so I, 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 I have stacks and stacks of you know, the most recent scientific studies and studies going way back and really had to pour through that. So that was, I was in my happy nerd zone when I was putting this <laughs> book together. And I have to say for those that might be scared at the idea or frightened or I'm not sure what the word is. I don't know. People are phobic about science. So I have to use some sort of like, no, you know, it's not this scary really. And that's a wonderful, one of the wonderful things about Dr. Dogs is that it is a wonderful balance of science with storytelling and really demonstrations of here's how this dog helped save this child or helps this dog, this child live today. I mean, it's really, it's amazing stories with science which is a great way of sort of like slightly slipping science into the story, which is magical. Thank you. Yeah, and I do try to make the science. I, I did the heavy lifting of, of really, 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 you know, getting to know it so I could simplify it and make it easy for readers. And that, that's what I, I used to work for USA Today. So I had to, you know, make, I had to take, take the hard stuff and make it easy. So it, you don't even realize half the time that you're really reading about science. And, and it's very digestible, I, I, I hope. That's what I've heard so far anyway. It's very digestible. I have a completely non-sequitur question because I, too, have lived with a Labrador. I know that you have a lab. And I don't know if this is just a lab thing. I kind of don't think so. But what is it with dogs that they like to roll in stuff? <laughs> what is that? Oh, is, wow. do, we have a, do we have a theory? I have a theory about why, but I'm wondering what, from somebody yeah. yourself that spent a lot of time studying dogs, what is that? Why do they do that? Well, yeah, my, and in fact, the reason my dog appears in the book, my dog is Gus, he's a yellow lab, and, and he, he loves to roll in, in many different, usually animal scents, and usually animal poop. So we'll be on a hike, and um, he'll get a, you know, a little bit ahead of me, and I'll see him rolling, and it's not usually in sweet-smelling grass, it's in horse poop, and then coyote poop, and, um, and then when he meets a dog on the trail, he goes up to them and he looks so proud and he's definitely approaching them in a different way. And usually the dog, especially if the dog is younger, look, they sniffs at Gus and they look at him like he's a dog god made of all these animals. And, um, and he, he's proud and the dog is looking at him just, just like he's not a creature of this earth or something. And I think, I think in, in Gus's case, and I've read studies also that, that say that the dogs are kind of camouflaging themselves. They're becoming hard you know, to, to, to identify as themselves. They're, and there, there are studies about foxes who do this and other animals, and that it might be a, 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 may, a way of camouflaging or attracting certain other kind, kinds of animals or something. So I don't know the bottom line, but I do know that um, it can be kind of gross sometimes on, on walks. What's your, what's your theory? 
Um, my theory is along those lines of I think it's an instinct to scent match. Right. And I and part of that is coming from I think that when I because I've had that same experience when I've been out walking my dog, or when I used to walk my dog, that yeah. she would roll in something and then when another dog would meet her they'd be like wow that is so cool you smell like that because <laughs> I didn't know you were a dog I thought you were you know a fox or you know I I think it's that because there is yeah. that. It's not just that they do it so assertively. It's that when they meet another dog, the other dog is equally as thrilled. Like, that is a totally cool smell. I had no <laughs> idea. That's amazing. That's awesome. Because the other dogs yeah. are inevitably, or at least in my experience, very excited by this. Like, oh, my God, you smell like that? That's so cool. Like, really? Yeah. Why? But that's my yeah. theory. Scent matching. And, and it can be that they're, like, if, when a fox does this with, in a rat or something, the fox might be coming home and saying, look what the cre- creatures are that, we, that I just passed by. Um, or, you know, if it's something that they want to eat, they can know that that is, you know, that's what's available, the mice or whatever these animals are eating. So that can be another way. Or maybe it's even saying, you know, uh-oh, let's stay away from the coyotes. Who knows? But, yeah, it is with my dog in my personal, completely non-scientific mind, it does seem like, hey, I'm really cool. And, you know, and he is really, he is treated like a rock star by especially when puppies come up to him. And they're just, they do that wag, you know, that that sort of super fast wag and, and they get so excited and Gus stands there like a rock, just super tall and proud. And, and look at me. Yes, I am so cool. <laughs> it is. They're very much like rock stars. And I do think it is that scent matching of they're disguised. It's like they put on camo, they put on olfactory camo. Right. Oh, that's a very good way of saying it. Yes. Which yes. Is and, and, like you know, an amazing feat for a dog. And that now, which leads me to talk about, so can you compare the human nose to the dog nose in terms of olfactory capabilities? Just about to get into that because okay. that was such a perfect introduction to it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, humans are not that bad at smelling things. We, we, I, I personally have a very good sense of smell, but it's nowhere near as good as a dog's sense of smell. Um, we can sweep about 6 million olfactory receptors, which is not too bad, but dogs have up to 300 million and their brains are much better equipped to make sense of these scents, um, so to speak. Uh, you know, they, they can sniff in parts per trillion, which it's hard to, that's a kind of a hard concept to visualize, but think of a, a packet of sugar or a teaspoon of sugar um, in the equivalent of two big uh, Olympic-sized swimming pools. So that's that, that ratio. So they can sniff in the smallest amounts um, uh, things that we have no idea exist. And one way I like to talk about the sense of smell is that their olfactory world is, is as kind of as rich and vivid as our visual world. So if you think about how we see things and how everything looks so interesting, that's the world of of smell to your dog, to our dogs. And one scientist I interviewed at the University of Pennsylvania likes to say that dogs can smell in color. And of course they can't, but that just gives you more of an idea of, of how rich and how vivid that olfactory world is that is pretty much invisible to us. Yeah, it's all to me. Uh, I'm an old film buff, and I think dogs smell in Technicolor, which was really that's what that's how <laughs> oh, Fantasia yeah. was made. The, the original movie Fantasia was made in Technicolor. It was a very rich, deep uh, film type, which had amazing tonal scale. And I think that's how dogs smell. They they I love smell that. Te- I love completely that in yes. Technicolor. 
dancing elephants yeah. and, and, and flying horses of great exactly. blues. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so dogs, well, let me back up just a second. I'll say that I, I learned a lot from my dog when I would walk her. Now, I have to sidebar for a moment. I was a chef for almost 20 years. So I think my sense of smell and taste is probably a little more tweaked in a, in a sense than regular yeah. people just because I've sm- – I mean, when you're running a kitchen, you're unconsciously alert of something burning or getting close to burning or a piece of meat that's cooked too much. or You're monitoring everything with all of your senses. You hear stuff. You smell stuff. You don't, you're not just watching. You are watching also, but you're using everything because when you're full on and you're about to seat a table of, you know, 100, you've got to be pretty cranked up. So yeah. I learned a lot from my from the lab when I would go out and walk with her. She trained me and seemed to really enjoy it when she would look over because when dogs smell something, as soon as they I think they hear something first, I'm never sure which. But she would then stick her nose up into the air. She wouldn't just stand there and look. She the nose would go right up into the air. And so I learned to do that. And so it's still it's an unconscious thing I still do this day. When I'm out, I my nose is in the air. People are looking at me like, What is this guy doing? And I learned it from my dog. And you sort of then oh, she would sort of radar and then she would sort of radar it in and she'd get pointed and focused on where the source of the smell was coming from and then she'd be and then she'd look at me after we did this for a while. She'd then look at me like, oh, yeah, that's totally cool, isn't it? Like, I knew what she was smelling because she'd wag her tail, that happy wag, like, okay, now let's go. And so I learned to to smell the airways by watching the dog, learn from the dog. And there is something to it. I can't, today, I can't not do it because I watched her do it and see that it works. And someday, I don't think I'll ever see in Technicolor, but I think I smell have a you know pretty good scent in terms of you know finding things in the airways and i learned by watching my dog i mean they're that's great that, they're amazing at it. so much you can learn so much from from dogs and i love that you were so attuned to her that you that you picked up on what she was showing you i think my dog would really like me to be more like that because he's always if we lose say a tennis ball in the autumn leaves um i'll throw it and and he knows exactly where it is and it's it's right there and he's looking at me and and looking at me as if to say <laughs> come on it's right there can't you see or smell it and i it's completely gone to me and i feel like a fool that it's so easy for him and then he just looks at me and he kind of sighs and he gets the ball that's under the leaves and he's probably thinking oh these dumb humans right <laughs> but i love that you were able to learn from from your dog like that they think you know more of us could do that and i may even i may even try that next time i take him for a walk this afternoon hopefully it's not mm-hmm. raining we'll yeah hopefully there. um yeah. well i've i've having lived with the dog a lot and back then i had a home office so i worked at home a lot I would always pay attention to her because she would come in to me if she heard something or her typical instinct would be to bark. Uh, she'd jump up on the couch and she'd look out the window and bark. But then she and sometimes the tail would like wag slowly or excitedly, depending upon who it was. And if I wasn't paying attention, she would come in to me like, can't you what? There's something happening out here. You need to see this. I mean, really like so I learned to pay attention to her as soon as she would attention me in some way. I would go. I would pay attention. I wouldn't go like, what's up? Because I know she's not going to tell me. She's just going to be like, can't you see that? I see that. See that cat down the block? I have to go get that cat. Whatever it was. I mean, they're, 
they're hyper alert by by nature. I mean, they're always, and their senses are so much better than ours. I mean, we're such. I've had that same incident where the, in my case, it was a stick, a rubber bone stick thing, mm-hmm. and you'd throw it and it would disappear in the leaves, and she'd look at you, look at me like, I see it, can't you see it? And it was like, yeah. no, I can't. Where? What? And it was just so, and the same exact experience of. They have the fast wagging tail, and then they have kind of the slow wagging tail. And then at some point, it's like the tail just stops wagging like, oh, you poor human. I'll go get it. <laughs> oh, that's a great description. That's, a, that's it exactly. And into poor humans. But, uh, but it does sound yeah. like you are a little ahead of the curve as far as at least <laughs> being aware of these things. Most of us oh. are not. I, when I first started writing about um, military dogs, it was, I, I gained... I already loved and respected dogs. Of course, I've been living with them my whole life, but I gained such a profound respect for for their senses, for how smart they are. It's just that they they have a, a different language. They have a different way of communicating, and and it's kind of up to us to to learn how to break through that a little. In fact, I, I don't know if you got to the end of my book, but in the epilogue, um, you were just talking about you know your dog alerting you and saying, of course, you know it's a cat. You know, don't you even know? Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in the epilogue, I talk about the um, the technology that is being developed at places like Georgia Tech, which is trying to open the door to dogs talking to us, as it were, where it's, it's wearable technology, and this is really going to be more used for medical dogs or military dogs who, who really need to be able to communicate with people in a more finessed way, and they can, um, they, their voice is attached to these vests, and the dog can pull on something or tweak a sensor a little bit, and a voice will come out, let's say, it, something simple, like if someone has, and we'll probably get we'll get to talking about diabetes, but a diabetic low, and they're out in a crowd, and the dog will be able to pull on something saying, you're about, you're about to have diet, you know, a hypoglycemia attack or something, and, or if it's a, a seizure, they'll be able to warn them if they're not paying attention, they'll be able to use the voice, or they'll be able to get help. Um, so by, there's one proto, prototype out there right now where the dog, in a southern accent, Georgia accent, because, you know, it is being developed there, the dog says, um, my owner needs your assistance. Please follow me. And they're trying out all these, all these uh, different technologies, oh. including touchscreen technology, which is the exciting one for, for Gus, I think, because um, at some point, maybe one day, dogs will be able to t- touch a screen with their nose, uh, like even just something like a, a large tablet, and, and communicate with us a little better about their needs. Um, what they're trying to figure out what what colors work best, what shapes, and, and how to get the dogs to respond. And dogs do respond pretty well to this touchscreen touch technology if they're trained right and once they develop the right way for them to sense these, because dogs are not truly colorblind. They're just, uh, they just see colors in a different way. So they may be able to convey a lot of information this way. And maybe once it gets out to be used um, in regular people like us with our dogs, uh, they'll be able to say uh, when they're barking, uh, oh, it's the UPS guy, or it's a cat, or it's a robber, or something. So who knows, one day that, t- that technology may just be you know, available on Amazon for our dogs, and we'll be able to use that, and they really will be able to tell us what's out there. Well, I know from, uh, I have a, f- a follow-up question to that, but I, I know from, again, having lived with this dog, that once you paid attention to her bark, there would be the bark, the aggressive, like, there's somebody that's coming up the steps that I don't know bark. 
and then there's that more, particularly with the labs, and particularly this dog had this thing where she would get shrill. You know, that high, I don't know how they get that shrill, but it was like a sharp, edgy, you know, like, and it was an excited bark. It was like, oh, look, mom's here. Oh, my God, can't you see mom's here? Are the kids (laughs) home? Or, you know, it was that excited, slightly shrill bark. So they have indicators. And it's funny that they're cooperating in these experiments because they're just trying to have us catch up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they're communicating clearly. You know, I'm excited. Right. I'm, I'm in fear. I'm in anger. I'm in something. But we're like, what? What you say? It just yeah. sounds all like barking to me. So that's really cool <laughs> that they're, they're cooperating in that way. And yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. And if you think about, if you, if, you know, we, we are always trying to get them to, what they have to understand to live with us and to deal with us is a lot. And if, if we can sort of do that for them, um, life would probably, the communications would go even more smoothly. So they're, they're putting in a lot of effort and we're, we're training them to, to come into our world. But if, if you do it like you're just discussing, um, where, you know, you, you observe them and you learn their, their language in a way, uh, then it, and, and that can be body language or sense, you know, as you were discussing the, the way your dog looked at you when the, hit, the stick, stick was hidden or, or any of those, it, it would really open up a, a new and fun world. I don't really get into that so much in the book, but it's super fun to talk about <laughs> and i'm going to jump slightly we, we are going to get there i promise um <laughs> what's in it for the dog i mean in these relationships that they form in these in this work that they're doing with people being allies to people what's in it for the dog well they've been doing this for such a long time since yeah. you know, the days of wolves and um it's it's we're we're so uh, so much a part of each other. They the they well what's in it? Of course, bottom line is is food, but um, and and shelter. But but there's love. Dogs dogs can love. Dogs. And there's a great book by Clive Wynn that just came out called Dog Is Love, and uh, he's he's a canine cognition scientist at uh, in Arizona, and he he shows yes dogs. Dogs do love. I mean, those of us who have dogs know that, of course, but it's not very sciencey to say that. It's really anthropomorphizing unless you have data to back it up, I guess. And 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 they come to to love us. They we love them. That unconditional love we feel from them, and and that we have for them. And so there's there's a lot. You know, love love means a lot. And uh, yeah, sure, food. And you know, my my dog loves me even more when I'm preparing you know dinner i think <laughs> when i'm opening the refrigerator he's extra interested but um they, they get a lot out of this relationship and and the working dogs especially you know dogs dogs love to have a job a job that uses their strongest um abilities shall we say and in the case of working dogs that's their sense of smell and and they they love to please uh, they love to well they love to please because they get a reward so they love their paycheck, and and the dogs who are working dogs, whether military, secret service, cops, medical alert dogs, they do get rewarded for for their work, and and part of the reward is praise, and they love the praise. They love to feel like they've made you happy. That is that it's not all about food, and it's just there's a, there's a lot in it for the dog. Absolutely. I wonder in the dog uh, lexicon of language if they have a word for anthropomorphize, the equivalent word for what, <laughs> how they talk about people. 
like we'll and I can't one. even conjugate that, but I, you know, it's like I think there must be a like, oh, that's such a human thing. You're such, oh, you know, you're trying that. to make that a human thing. I'll, I'll have to work. <laughs> on that. Um, Let's think of it one, yeah. <laughs> in in Doctor Dogs, you talk about visiting, and you mentioned the uh, dogs for diabetics in Northern California. You went there and visited, and and were part. You know, they took some samples from you. What what is their work? What did you participate, and what did you observe there? What did you? What was your experience of what your work in relationship to dogs for diabetics in Northern California? Well, I I. I just went there for um, a visit to see the, just for the, the baseline of, of what they do and meet some of the people um, I might be interviewing in the future. And um, so I, when I was there, I was, I was absolutely fascinated to watch them train dogs. Um, these, are, these are happy dogs who are coming in for the day, or these, these dogs actually are um, usually... Um, I don't want to say washouts, they're career change dogs that who were being trained as guide dogs who didn't work out for one way or another. And so they they still, they're great dogs, and they've been trained already so well. And so now they're training them on something different, which is the scent of someone in a diabetic low or a high, but usually, you know, the low, the low is what they're being trained on, at least initially. So um, what they did when I was there was they, they just, they needed, I'm not diabetic, so they just swiped my back with gauze and put it in a, a little container and sealed it and put it in the freezer as a control. They have a lot of samples of, of this from people who are in hypoglycemia, diabetics who are in hypoglycemia. So what they do, what they were doing, is they were training the dogs to um, recognize the scent of a diabetic low. And it takes a long time for a dog to put this together. Oh, what is the common scent in everything they're giving me when I recognize this? Why do I get a reward when, whereas well, I don't when I smell Maria's smell or whatever? So, um, so the dogs are there learning that scent. They are learning then to alert to the scent by sitting and staring, picking up a, um, it's called a bringsel. It's a cloth tube that hangs off of their collar. That's sort of more advanced training. But at first, it's just recognizing that this scent, there's something in common when someone uh, with, with people um, who are having a, experiencing a diabetic low, low blood glucose and the dog is the one who has to pick up on it we don't know what that scent is we can't say this is this or this is that and let's train the dogs on this they they kind of have to figure it out themselves based on one after another after another and and it's a lot of fun for them it's all a big game all of the work that the dogs do in medical detection uh, in laboratories like this it's just fun it's it's life-saving work it's incredible work but they don't know that at least when they're in in the training mode they're they're just having a good time they 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 have that aha moment and then maybe they start putting together like oh every time i smell this this layering of these volatile organic compounds that smells like this to me and and I, I sit, I get a reward. And so when I was watching, the dogs were going to different buckets and um, they would just go around the, this part of the room and sit and stare at the one bucket that had 
did the diabetic sense, one portal that had the scent. So that was fascinating. And, and one of the dogs was really new, and you could see the difference. And, and initially, they just want the dog to to be aware of it, just put the nose on it and smell it and, and get aware of it. But in the end, how it works is the dog um, is at home, and the dog smells his or her person uh, going into uh, going in real time, as opposed to the devices people wear. The monitors are not real time; they're about ten or fifteen minutes behind. But the dog smells this before the device does uh, alerts to it, so the dog can do ten or fifteen minutes ahead of most monitors. The dog will do the alert. The person will check the blood glucose and then check it again. If it's a certain percentage decrease within a certain time, um, they, the, the dog gets a reward. And, of course, they, they're able to take care of this um, by eating something or drinking something um, before they would normally do that with, with, the, um, with the monitor. And a dog amazingly enough, doesn't have to be right next to you. There, I, I wrote about people in the book who, who were, um, the, a little boy could be outside jumping on the trampoline and the dog is inside and will alert. The, and this dog was alerting to the mom because the dog, the boy was young. So this dog would pick up the brinsel and stare at the mom and she'd go out and check on the boy and sure enough, he was dropping fast. And um, so, so it depends on the, the air currents and how that is. But it's, it's amazing that this is, it's almost like a miracle. They, that particular dog was able to, to alert to the boy um, the equivalent of a football field away because the wind was wow. going in the exact right direction. And the mom couldn't believe it. She said, okay, this is not right. This is a fluke. This is just weird. And sure enough, she she checked her son and and his blood sugar was dropping quickly so um it's not normally normally the dog is is in the same room or at least next door but the dogs um that that were the, some of the dogs i met that day i started following one dog named whitley and her young man clay and they actually opened the book um they're they're the first story in the book um after the introduction and clay um whitley was able is able to um, to wake up from a sound sleep when she smells clay going into a diabetic low. How does that work? We don't know, but it's kind of like you know when you're sleeping and you smell bacon and coffee, mm-hmm. you might you might kind of wake up to that and go, mm, okay. And if you're rewarded when you smell that, you might really wake up to that. And so. We don't really know what's going on there. Some dogs do not wake up. Some dogs are really deep sleepers, and some it may depend on the stage of sleep the dog is in. But but these dogs have been known to wake up and and save their person's life. She she um, was standing on top of Clay the first the first time she did this. She was standing on top of him, kind of pounding her paws on him to get him to wake up. Um, and who knows what would have happened if she hadn't done this? Because sleep is a very dangerous time for type one diabetics, mm-hmm. and um, they can go into a coma and not come out. So these dogs are saving lives by virtue of their noses. Uh, you know, at night, and there's no guarantee, of course, that a dog will wake up. But the fact that these dogs start being trained um, in in these settings, in buckets, you know, with the scent in buckets, and then they're able to do this at home is just incredible to me. And it's, it's, it's like a miracle because I can't see it, I can't smell it, and but they're doing it, and they're doing it really, really well. Now, just to just to put this out there, because I don't want people to run out and and go to any place that has 
um, the say they produce diabetic alert dogs or any of these dogs because um, there are a lot of places that train dogs really well on all of these. I'm sure the other things we'll be talking about seizures, diabetes, other medical maladies, but they're there are places that try and they're really sincere and they do an okay job, but maybe not good enough. And then there are places that are going to just want money and, and will rip you off. So um, it's, it's a really important for people to do their homework when they're looking for a medical alert dog. And that means not just getting one person to say, yes, I have a great dog, but, you know, really asking a lot of people, asking for a lot of examples and seeking, doing Doing the homework is super important because the people have paid, um, you know, tens of about twenty thousand dollars and had a dog who who doesn't alert, you know, most of the time. And I, I just don't want. To, I just wanted a reality check here that there the dogs can do the great work. The training has to be really, really good, and people really need to do their homework. I would not want to be responsible for someone going out and getting a dog who can't work because he wasn't trained well enough. So just that was just my little flag that I'd like to give when yeah. I do interviews. Yeah. And was was Whitley trained to jump on the boy's chest, or was that just something no. that you came up with? No, that was urgency? her thing. She wow. could not get his attention. He wasn't looking at her. He was sleeping, and so she just figured it out. She knew he... Now, there comes a time when it's beyond the reward. Um, I think, of course, she probably wanted her reward, but there comes a time when when dogs are working with people and they see how important this work is and and they see when a person doesn't pay attention that the person gets in trouble. Um, And and they're connected with us. They don't want us to be in these situations where we're in harm's way, where, where we could be hurt, where we, where we could say, where someone could have a seizure or go into a coma or whatever. So um, at that point, I do think that it becomes more than that little treat they're going to get than the praise. So in this case, I think Whitley or other dogs who do this are saying, okay, come on, come on, come on. You know, you got to be okay. Um, they're, they're in it. They're, they're, they're our partners. And and sure, she actually did get a treat once he was coherent and got his glucose and he he checked it and he saw, oh, you know, how low he was really, really low. And he was able to, he had to treat himself first and then he gave her a treat. But that that wasn't, I definitely was not what she was in it for at that point. Well, I think once you become um, part of the pack, that's really underestimated, I think, with dogs is, once you really become a familiar to them and you become part of their pack or you become the pack leader, uh, you know, sort of that Caesar Milan kind of like you become the pack leader, but they're with you. They're, they're an, they're an ally. They're in the family. We would call a family dogs. Think of them as packs. I well, I, again, I don't know that dogs think of them as packs at all. They just think, Oh, I know you come over here. Um, but there is that where they, Really, I know in in the lab that I lived with that when she would something would be going on as soon as she would look, let's say she's barking up, you know, on the couch, looking out the curtain, barking, and then she'd look at me. As soon as we'd have eye contact, she'd know that I was attentioning. Right. And that was it. She right. was fine. She'd go back to fast wagging tail because she was having a good time doing her job. She loved her job. <laughs> guard the house. That's my job. Guard the house. And right. maybe occasionally grab a, you know pan off the stove that had bacon fat in it and drag it to the floor and lick it out. She couldn't help herself. 
that was always an amazing thing. <laughs> really? And not get hurt? Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. She was serious. <laughs> she was a full on lab. She was not kidding. I love to eat. I live to eat. And Ooh, um, a bacon alert dog. I like that. <laughs> exactly. And my dog, my old lab was an apple pie alert dog. He once dragged two apple pies in glass pie pans um, off of the counter, uh, and, and they did not break. We have a tile floor. They did not break, and wow. he ate them both. <laughs> and they were tucked way back on the counter. So it's amazing what labs will do for for food. And actually, that is one of the reasons that um, a lot of, uh, of the dogs you'll see in the medical alert uh, world are Labrador retrievers because they love food and they will work for food and and they'll they'll work really hard for food. They're driven by it, so um, that's that's one of the reasons. And of course, they're just amazing dogs and great companions. But they're that's why it, you, you'll see those dogs as guide dogs and so many other working dogs. And they're they're just they're they're really they're, they're food driven. And it's not to say that other breeds are not by any means. In fact. In, in laboratory settings where dogs are sniffing out cancer or Parkinson's disease or a number of um, superbugs, there are all kinds of dogs detecting there. And um, we'll probably stop me if you want before we you know talk about this before you want to talk about it. But there are there are dogs all over the world. I went all over the world for this book, um, doing my research, and and I watched uh, a, a Pomeranian sniff out. Parkinson's disease in Washington State, and dogs, uh, uh, and also um, Vishlas doing this, and German Shepherds, and all kinds of mutts and terriers, and of course Labs and Goldens and, and mixes. So, so um, especially in these research settings, um, it can be any any kind of dog. They they just have to be really reward driven, food driven, or toy driven um, in in those settings. And when I talk about laboratory settings, I don't don't think of beagles locked away in cages. These uh, dogs who are used, say, in cancer research or uh, whatever they're doing behind the scenes are dogs who usually, they're dogs who come in for the day or part of the day. They they have fun and they go home. This is fun, as I was saying earlier. This is really fun for them. They are, they are, they are sniffing. They're, they're using their strongest scent. It's super obvious to them and they get a reward for this. It would be like us walking around saying, oh yeah, um, there's, there's the ring. Oh, okay. Oh, it's over here now, uh, and and getting you know five dollars every time we see the ring or whatever it is. So, um, but asking a dog to smell something like cancer, it does take a long time. It does like as we were talking about with diabetes, with something like cancer, and their dogs are doing this all over the world now at in these laboratory settings and at universities and research centers, and it's incredible. Once they have that aha moment, once they've put together oh, this is what they're asking me to smell, how, how accurately they can do it, and um, how, how, it's just how little amount of the, whatever the scent is they need. At the University of Pennsylvania Working Dog Center, um, a, dogs are smelling, they're not asking them to smell a cancer tumor. They're asking them to smell plasma, from women with ovarian cancer plasma is the the you know the yellow portion of the blood when you separate out blood so basically blood a portion of the blood and they're smelling it in one drop of plasma in fact when i was there a dog was able to smell they they mixed a drop of plasma and a drop of saline um, and they 
took one drop from that, so basically a half a drop of plasma, and the dog walked around this this wheel sort of thing with um, with that has these little cups at the ends, and they had various substances, including plasma from a woman with a benign ovarian tumor, and the dog was able to alert to that plasma with the cancer, with the ovarian cancer. Wow. So their sense of smell is so so good and we are trying to learn from dogs as you were saying we can learn a lot from dogs if we listen to them and so what humans are doing is trying to get the information from the dogs about what it is that they're smelling what what we we call them volatile organic compounds come smells things that the chemicals that come off of smells and what is this does cancer have one overall scent that differentiates it from something else, or does each cancer have its own unique fingerprint? This is something that scientists around the world are trying to figure out, and um, we're not going to see dogs working behind the scenes at laboratories at our doctor's office in the future. Dogs are going to lead to technology that we're hoping will be rapid and very accurate, non-invasive. Maybe uh, one day we'll be able to go. I, I have... We have ovarian cancer in our family, as you mentioned earlier, and it's really hard to detect in early stages, but the hope is that dogs like the ones at the University of Pennsylvania are going to be able to work with the scientists and tell us what that scent is. Now, how they do that is a technology. There's a chemical analysis technique, um, various ones, and the scientists are are feeding, are, are taking what they think might be the sense and feeding these uh, compounds, say, back to the dogs and seeing if they'll alert to these compounds or this pattern of, of VOCs and hoping that they will be able to, to find the sense of, of the various cancers. And this is happening around the world. It's really exciting, super cutting edge. And once we learn from the dogs um, what this is, that can open up you know, this whole new way of testing, especially for cancers that are really hard to detect. And, and that is going around. That, that's happening now with other technologies. There are ways that um, it, I've been reading about um, uh, how science is able to now detect uh, various cancers in blood that they could never detect before. So there's a lot going on. There's a lot of exciting stuff going on in cancer detection in general. But the fact that dogs might be able to lead to, to technology where I'll be able to go to the doctor's office maybe in 10 years, breathe into a tube, um, and it doesn't, if it doesn't show that I have this volatile organic compound on my breath, um, then I'm good for another year. Uh, there, it could be urine test, it could be blood, but it, it will, if, it, there's, there's a, there are a lot of scientists who, who think this is going to lead to really exciting stuff. And in fact, there's a, a guy at MIT who thinks that we will be able to have this technology in our hands, in our smartphones one of these days. He is working with dogs in England uh, who are detecting prostate cancer. And um, he's, he's, he, what he wants to do is have a huge study with um, their, our phones inevitably are going to have olfaction technology if we want to turn that on. And he wants to have a big mm -hmm. study that will, will, will be a game changer where 
it will be maybe 50,000 people, and uh, they'll be able to, um, this, the phones will be sensing things, and the people will be reporting and when uh, of their health conditions, and when certain things happen, they'll be amassing data and saying, oh, this is what... This is the smell that was coming. This is what was going on with the person, and they had this or that. And it's, it would have to be a you know, not everyone's phones. You would have to participate in the study. And I know it sounds highly invasive, but um, people, he, you know, people will want to be part of this. And I, I really hope it gets off the ground because I don't know if I'd want my phone sniffing me all the time. But I think it's fascinating <laughs> technology that maybe the the dogs will be leading us as to to this as well so there's a lot going on and um and it's not just it's not just cancer but that to me is is the most fascinating of of the research because you know, cancer hits everyone um so somehow or another we all know someone with it and if dogs can you know the, the boy talk, talk about being our best friends that they can maybe lead to technology that will get it early stage one these dogs in um in Pennsylvania are detecting ovarian cancer as early as stage one, which is beyond most of the tests that, that we have right now. So it's all really exciting stuff. Well, and I think uh, one of the things that pops into my brain is in a certain way, to me, the dogs are waiting for us to catch up. Because right. I can see handing a dog something, and the dog's all excited about it because I, because I think of one thing about it, like scent or taste. I used to, uh, again, back to the dog I lived with, I cooked her breakfast and dinner. So she had fresh cooked food every day rather than a can or any a bag. She just, you know, it was something I did. I made her fresh meals every day. And she'd be very excited about it. And I might, because of my human thinking, my own anthropomorphized brain, <laughs> thinking, oh, she'll like this because of this. Who knows? I mean, they have such capacity for scent that that seems part of the trick to me is getting it down to to tiny amount of minutia that the dog can focus on only one thing was we're we're still thinking you know they're we're handing them plasma which is amazing i mean that's truly mind blowing but to them they may still smell only 500 things in that plasma instead of the 10,000 possible out of blood i'm making all these numbers up but it but part of that is it's getting it down to a tiny amount of something so the dog can hyper-focus on this or that. Because to them, you know, as you as you mentioned in the book, and, and I think we've talked about, dogs also watch watch people. So right. they're not only smelling things, they're very sensitive to when their person's upset or uptight or cranky or sad or something. You know, they'll come and lay their, their head on your lap if you're sad or if you feel, if they feel you need to be I don't know. If you need your paw held, they'll come over to you. Um, so they're very sensitive to not only smell, but also to visuals. So back to the dog, uh, Whitley, jumping up and down on the boy's chest, that dog probably was sensing not only the smell coming off the boy, but also the, you know, how he was breathing or how he was acting. She was, you know, right. the dog was aware of a lot of other factors. Right. And That's just like with, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. That's um, that. That's part of it. Absolutely, they're trained on the scent, but then so much more comes into it. As you said, body language. Um, even with seizures, uh, it used to be thought that you cannot train a dog on the scent of a person who is about to have a seizure. That the dog learns. They're, so they're seizure alert dogs. Just to you know, get back to the basics here, and um, they can 
they tell the person ahead of time when they're going to have a seizure. And um, it used to be thought that you can't train the dog. The dog would be paired with the person as a seizure response dog. So the dog would be there during the seizure. The dog would be able to push the 911 type of button. The dog would be there to um, prevent the person from maybe hurting themselves and, and stay with the person and comfort them afterward. But these dogs who are trained to do that would start um, maybe getting anxious 10 minutes before a seizure and the person would note that eventually well um you know janie starts whining and then 10 minutes later i have a seizure so the person would put that together that the dog would do this but now they are training dogs on the scent of seizures um and we again we don't know what that is but it can also be that the dog is looking at the person's body language the person doesn't even know or same with diabetic lows or highs um the person doesn't even know there's a change of breathing there might be a change of heart rate there there are chemicals coming out of us that we we don't know um the dog is detecting there was even one study that said it could be something in our brains that they're detecting you were talking about the vagus nerve earlier with the voice um, that is something um, that in seizures there's a there's a vagus nerve stimulator that some people have implanted in their in their chest that stimulates the vagus nerve um, and it kind of shocks it and that it can prevent them from having a seizure or it can get them out of a seizure and dogs sometimes instinctively will start licking the person in the same area where the vagus nerve runs um, after a seizure. So the dogs somehow know this. And um, we, we don't know how they know this, but they, they just start looking around certain um, uh, points where the vagus nerve runs. So the, some, they, know, they know a lot more than we think they do. And um, they're tra- yes, they're trained to alert to scent, but they, they're, they're tuned into a lot more as well. Well, and I think it's, uh, as I think about it as, I'm certain there's a hormone cascade that occurs when you're going to go into a seizure. Actually, any of these conditions, whether it's, we won't get into all of these, obviously, but you know, in the book, you talk about Parkinson's and cancer and PTSD and seizures and autism, anxiety, depression, and schizophrenia. So I suspect that there's, since hormones are involved in all of those, not directly as the trigger necessarily, but there are hormone cascades that occur Anytime the body goes into a state of stress, it may be we live in semi-permeable membranes called our skin, and right. dogs smell incredibly powerfully. So, to me, in a certain way, it it makes sense that it's possible that a dog could be sent could get the scent of that some point in the hormone cascade that's like alert, alert. I know that smell. That's not good. Um, yeah. And the next thing you know, you have a dog jumping down uh, up and down on your chest. I mean. Right, and even pets dog, pet dogs are doing this. The dog doesn't always have to be trained. There are numerous pet dogs who start alerting to seizures or even even diabetics. And actually, cats have been known to occasionally what? alert no. to. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, now, there are no studies. No one's training cats to become um, medical alert cats. But some cats have freelanced, and um, uh, there's, there are a couple of... Um, there's some case studies that I, I found about cats who were alerting their people to their diabetic lows uh, or even cancer. There are dog there are, of course dogs and there are many tales anecdotal tales of dogs who have discovered their person's cancer and tried to make them aware of it. And I, I write about one particularly important one actually in the book, but um, 
there there is there are some stories out there about cats who have done the same thing. So, but my next book is definitely not going to be called Clinician Cats because cats are cats, <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not going there. And we would have a whole different discussion if if oh, it were wow. about cats doing yeah. this. But yeah, <laughs> but dogs don't necessarily have the greatest sense of smell out there of animals. They have a terrific sense of smell, but it's really how they work with us. Um, there are lots of animals that have a um, better sense of smell, but we're not going to have elephants, you know, in our bedrooms uh, wait, wow. waiting to alert to us. Bouncing so, up and down um, on actually, your chest. That would be exciting. No. Wow. <laughs> in, uh, in, in Japan, when I was in Japan doing research for the book, there were, um, I went to a place called Hirotsu Bioscience, where worms are detecting cancer. They're little nematodes, and they would be, they're in a petri dish, and they, um, when urine of someone with cancer was, a little dot of urine was placed in the petri dish, the worms would waggle over to the urine. They were attracted to urine of someone with cancer, and when someone with healthy urine, when the healthy urine was placed in a petri dish with the worms, they would waggle away from it. So they're developing something in Japan called the nematode nose, the end nose, where they say they will be able to de- detect cancer by virtue of worms. There's all kinds of stuff going on out there. But again, you know, it's, I'd rather work with dogs than worms. But if worms can do the trick, <laughs> oh, come on. all the more power <laughs> no to pet, them. No pet nematodes, really? I don't no, know. Yeah, no, no, uh, no uh, diabetic alert nematodes either, probably out there. <laughs> but wow. I think um, just we're we're just beginning to realize how 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 much these you know, all kinds of animals have to offer. They just live in this different realm, and I'd like to see what comes of the nematode nose because that was supposed to come out this year. Now supposedly it's coming out next year, you know, in the Olympic year. We'll we'll see what happens along those lines. And the same with what's, what um, the technology that will come for the cancer detection with dogs is called, they're calling it the e-nose, the electronic nose, but it, it comes, it goes by any number of names. It's just, basically, it's just technology that the dogs will help develop. And um, I, I'm really hopeful, and the scientists and researchers are hopeful um, that this will be out. There's no timeline. Some say five years, some say 10 years. So it, it may be a while, but it may not be as far off as we think that you know the dog, if we keep working with dogs and that kind of research keeps getting funding um, we'll see it's as I said it's happening I, I tracked it around the world and it's 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 exciting and there are challenges in fact you were talking about how dogs are so aware of our of our um, body language and of us they read us it's, it's so carefully any nuance can can change how they react to us so in in the research setting They've learned that the researchers, that, that no one should really be seen by the dog. The dog needs to be in there without a person being visible because even if the person doesn't know which portal the cancer is in, they, the dogs might be <clears throat> trying to read them and saying, oh, he just shifted his eyes or, oh, she just held her breath for a fraction of a second and maybe it's in this one. So um, it's called the Clever Hans Effect. And based on a, a horse way back, I, I explain this in the book. It's actually a really interesting story. But um, so the dogs have to not see the person in in the cancer detection room and go through this on their own. The person could be hiding, and there are scientists usually behind um, glass, the one-way glass. So um, that's that's how astute they are. That's how how much they watch us. So some of the earlier successes in cancer detection may have been partly because they're watching us 
and we knew they're watching the people and the people knew where the cancer was. We learned quickly that that was not the way to do it. The scientists said, you know, we cannot be in the room at the same time. And so the dogs are more on their own. But yeah, that just shows how, how tuned in they are to us to the point where they're we are anomalies. We are a condition that has to be factored out when they're doing research in these settings. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm thinking uh, I would wear that as a baseball cap. We are anomalies. Um, <laughs> because it's really true. I mean, they're so, the dogs live in a state of hyper alertness as a lifestyle. That's not something they're, you know, it's back to, you know, if we think about wolves, they're hyper alert whether they're awake or asleep because they probably have, I can't, I don't know if they've compared dog noses to wolf noses, but imagine they're close and perhaps animals in the wild have even more because they're smelling even a broader spectrum of things. I don't know if that's possible, but they're always alert. I mean, you, we both seen a lab wake up out of a nothing, you know, like completely like coma sleep, that thing where they're just flat and breathing deeply in their paws or they're running in their dreams and all that. And if they smell bacon, man, they're up and alert in a second. They don't take any time to like, give me a minute. I need a beverage. They're like right, right awake. <laughs> I know. I wish I were like that with my alarm clock in the morning. It's uh... a... <laughs> smell the coffee, boom. But they, they are. They're, they're so aware of their surroundings and, and of us, and we are so important to them. And just as they are so important to us, but I think we're even more important to them. And so, I mean, it depends. We're, you know, my dog is my heart, but, but dogs, are, they, they, they live for us. They, they want to, they just, they're such great partners in life. And to have them be able to save lives by virtue of this, you know, and, and in the book, I also, a big chunk of the book is actually about mental health and how dogs are able to, um, to help with those conditions you mentioned and even things like schizophrenia. And not that it's always about the scent, but it's about the bond. It's about being able to tell ahead of time when something's about to hit the fan and whether that's, they're tuned in by any of their senses, they can do this job and they want to do this job and they're they're really 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 good at it and you know they really are it's the, the subtitle of my book is you know how our best friends are becoming our best medicine they already are our best medicine as you said when we're having a, an off day we're sad or whatever they're there for us but this is just the whole new cutting edge way that that they are um our best medicine I'd actually be really, we, we're going to wrap in a moment. I would be really actually excited to walk into a doctor's office and find a doc there. <laughs> I'd be like, cool, we're not here. All right, now we can Wouldn't get that be great? And, and, <laughs> and there, <clears throat> there is one doctor um, I interviewed who has diabetes, and his dog goes into each treatment room with him, each patient room with him. He makes the rounds with his dog Kermit, and um, so there is there are do- there are dogs like that. That now Kermit is not diagnosing anyone. He's not there to sniff out cancer. He's just there to alert to the doctor if the doctor um, is about to go into a hy- hypoglycemia. So, but you know that that patients um, really do enjoy seeing Kermit in his office as well. And he's never had a patient who was so scared of dogs that did, or so allergic that it didn't work out. But um, it really can help, especially with children when they see a dog. And it makes it makes them all the more relaxed. So that is one. Uh, it's his name is in the book. If anyone's in Santa Rosa, California, and wants a doctor who has a dog who makes the rounds with him, they can go to him. <laughs> What's his specialty? 
Does he have a specialty? Um, I mean, not Kermit. I, I, I don't mean Kermit. I mean the doctor. <laughs> the doctor, yeah. Um, I think he's he's uh, he's a general doctor, regular uh, internist, or no, not internist. He's a family doctor, I believe. Um, cool. He was seeing he was seeing everything. He used to he used to have a more of a specialty, but yeah, he he does the rounds, and he's up in Santa Rosa, and you can find him in the book, and you will meet Kermit, who is an amazing dog, and I, I got to spend a lot of time with Kermit the day I spent um, in in the offices with him. And Kermit has also alerted to, it used to be that um, the doctor was doing procedures that were in, involving some surgery and Kermit couldn't be in the same room, but Kermit would be out in the nurse's station alerting sometimes to a diabetic low that was happening to the doctor at, in real time while the doctor was doing the procedure and um, the nurses would have to come in and say, oh, Kermit's alerting. And so, you know, the doctor would you know, take a little glucose or whatever because it said dogs do it in real time. And so that is, that is a, it's fun to watch him make the rounds with, when they just walk down the hall together and these partners in life and go into the room and close the door and, and Kermit just would settle in in his bed just away from everyone. If he needed, if he needed to work, he'd work. Otherwise, he's just unobtrusive and he's there. I would love it if my doctors had dogs, and especially cool dogs like Kermit. But it's, it's, it's an anomaly, another, another, another anomaly. Um, but it's, the patients really enjoy seeing the dog as well. That's awesome. Makes me want to go see the doctor. I live in Northern California, right? so I'm ready to like yeah, go see well, the doctor with Kermit. Can I find the doctor with Kermit? That's <laughs> awesome. I'd love that. Yeah, I'll um, always be there. <laughs> that's great. Um, we're at that point where I have to ask you, where would you like people to find your book, and where can they find out more about you? Oh, um, my book is in a lot of bookstores and libraries and available at favorite online retailers, Amazon and all those places. And um, my website is mariagoodavage.com. And, yes, I have a hard name to spell. It's like Maria Good Savage without the S. So um, Maria Godavage, and um, you can look up, you know, soldier dogs or doctor dogs and find me. And my my website has um, a really cute video of doctor dogs doing their things um, with uh, with people in, in, in laboratories and uh, a little more information. So yeah, it's 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 around quite a bit. And you can be found on Facebook at Soldier Dogs. Is that your yeah. your page? Yeah. yeah, my page is Soldier Dogs on Facebook, um, and we have like 160,000 people on that page, and a lot of it is military dogs, but I do I do some doctor dog posts on that as well. Great. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> we thank could, you, Richard. There's really so many fun. directions we could go, but we have to stop now. <laughs> so, okay, thank you so much. That was great. Thank you. Everybody have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>